1: Hello and welcome to On The Ledge Podcast. I am your host, Jane Perrone, High Priestess of Houseplants. Okay, that's rubbish. I'm not the high priestess of houseplants, but it sounds good, right? Well, welcome to the show. This is not the episode I was expecting to bring you, but sometimes life takes a strange turn. I am currently self-isolating with my family after a confirmed COVID case. Don't worry, I'm fine. I'm double jabbed. So hopefully all will be well, but this episode uh, is not going to be what I was planning to put out because with two children now off school, I have had a bit of a telescoped working week. So what are we going to be talking about this week? I am going to bring you my thoughts, a monologue, dare I say, about Taking your plants outside for a holiday because it's holiday season, (laughs) despite the fact that uh, for many of us, that might be a staycation. How do you give your houseplants a great staycation? That's the topic of this week's show. And I'll also be answering a question about moss poles, some of which are not made of moss. And we'll hear the first, meet the listener, with my new set of questions. Many thanks to Harmonite from the US for leaving a very kind review for On The Ledge on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't ever left a review for this here podcast, please do consider doing it. You can express yourself any way you like. And I love to read the inventive ways that you talk about the show in your reviews. So I do read them all and I'm very glad for all of them. So please, if you can, do a review. I know Apple Podcasts can make life hard when you're trying to do a review. Nonetheless, if you can beat Apple Podcasts' system, then you can give yourself a big pat on the back and I too will be very grateful. I have been doing lots of houseplant Zoom consultations. Uh, This is one of the rewards for my Legends of the Leaf book. And it's been really, really exciting to see inside some of your homes. I've had tours. I've had PowerPoint presentations. I've answered lots of questions and it's been enormous fun already. So if you have one of those consultations lined up, you are in for a treat. It's been great, great great fun. One thing that I wanted to mention was a tip from the lovely Ray, who you will have heard in Meet the Listener. He is an American living in South Korea, and he gave me an awesome tip, which I wanted to share with you. And that was about wick watering. And if you're ever wondered about where you can get wick from and what the wick can be, Ray has a great answer. So just to roll back a moment, wick watering. This is where you have your plain old houseplant pot and you take a piece of cord about 10 centimetres long and you push it through the holes in the bottom of the pot. So it's touching the compost. You can have several wicks if you like going through different holes. And then that runs down to a reservoir below of water. Now that could be in an outer cash pot. It could be in a deli cup, uh, a lidded container, A hummus pot with a hole in it, whatever you choose to use. But what do you make that wick out of? Now, I've always suggested using the handles of gift bags, which have that nylon cord, which is ideal. You can also buy it in haberdashery shops. You basically want a cord that isn't made of natural materials because man-made materials will not degrade over time and also You won't get any problems with fungus growing on them and things like that. Now, Ray's suggestion was masterful. If you have been getting through quite a few masks of late, those PPE items we've all been wearing a lot of, Ray has come up with a solution that I love. He cuts the ear loops off his masks once used and uses those as wicks. They're the right length. They're made of man-made materials and they work really well so thank you to Ray for suggesting that it does a few different things it means that wildlife aren't going to get caught up in those masks also it's a little bit of reuse which is excellent given how much uh, single-use plastic we've been getting through in this pandemic so thanks very much for that suggestion Ray. And don't forget, there is still time to pledge your support for my book, Legends of the Leaf. You can pre-order your copy now. Visit JanePerrone.com and you can click through. And there's plenty of time to pre-order. I am writing as we speak and it's a fascinating process and I can't wait to bring you the book. So please do support me if you can. When it comes to putting your plants out into the outside world, there are many advantages, but also many pitfalls. Here are my top tips. The first of which is check the old weather forecast. So even if you've got really warm temperatures and sunny skies during the day, depending on your climate, nighttime temperatures can drop alarmingly low. And that's what you're really looking out for. What is the minimum temperature that's going to be reached? Because nighttime temperatures will affect the plant just as much as daytime. So here in the UK, I wouldn't be putting my houseplants out full time until the nighttime temperatures are around 13, 14, 15 degrees centigrade, which is, she says, grabbing her post in note to, Uh, which would be about between about 54 and 61 Fahrenheit. That means that your plant won't get stressed by cold temperatures. Obviously, some houseplants can cope with lower temperatures, but anything that comes from a kind of a subtropical tropical climate will probably start suffering if you go much below about 55 Fahrenheit, which is about 12 or 13 Celsius. Ideally, you want it a little bit higher. You can, of course, put houseplants out for a little break during the day. And lots of people do do this. And in fact, it's a great way of hardening off your houseplants, ready to give them that summer holiday. What does hardening off mean? Well, it just means, hello, Wolfie. Wolfie maybe you're feeling a bit sad because he's not going to be getting many walks in the next 10 days because we can't walk the dog. That's part of the isolation. So yeah. <laughs> he may be feeling a little bit gloomy right now. I'm not sure if he's realised yet. Anyway, sorry, that was a little Wolfie collar jink there for you. Um, so yes, you hardening off your plants. This is basically getting them. Adapted. So if you imagine you have been out of the sun for six months, you don't just go suddenly and sit outside on a blazing hot patio for 12 hours because, you know, you would get heat stroke and sunburn. So it's the same with plants. You need to gradually acclimatize them to being outside, giving them more and more time out there and starting them off somewhere quite shady to get them ready for the outside world. And if you don't do this, what happens is you get burned leaves what do burned leaves look like? Well, it can be a number of things. They can go black. I've seen a few black monsters recently where people have put them outside and they have just burned like bilio. You can get straw-colored leaves, this particularly with orchids and things. If they go straw-colored, often that's an indication that they've been sunburned. Um, and cacti and succulents just tend to go straw-colored or brown. Every year when I put my cacti and succulents out into my greenhouse, having been inside in relatively low light conditions, I will get one that burns. This year, it's my plover's eggs. What a great name for a succulent. Latin name Adromiscus scuperi and unfortunately that one has got burned. It'll be okay but half the plant is just brown because it managed to slip under the net curtain that I'd used to cover the plants up while they were adapting to the sunnier conditions. Every year it happens with one plant or another but you want to try to avoid that so that's what I do. I slip a net curtain over them and that allows them to gradually get used to the sun and then that's taken off for longer and longer periods until they are ready to cope with full sun. You can move them if you want to, if that's preferable, so you can start them in shade and gradually move them into sun. If you've got horticultural fleece, you could also use that. An old neck curtain is, is just as good, which you can pick up at a junk store or
0: Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.
1: second tip i only put outside the bigger house plants in bigger heavier pots because unless you live in the most sheltered garden you will find that the smaller pots are easily hang on i'm just going to take wolfie's collar off just hold on a sec wolfie we've got to take that collar off darling come here come here darling good boy lift your head up a sec good boy well done there we go then you won't be jingling all the way Sorry about that. Put my headphones on. What was I saying? Oh, yes. So small pots. There's two problems. One, a small gust of wind and they're blown off the stand that they're on or they're knocked over. You've got a mess. It's annoying. Also, small pots. The surface area to volume ratio, which I'm sure you're familiar with from your science lesson, means that really small pots evaporate a heck of a lot of moisture quickly. So they dry out really quickly outside, particularly when there's breezes and things which will be helping to evaporate water. So they're a bit of a pain to have outside, I find. So I only tend to put bigger specimens outside that aren't going to be affected by those two factors. So that's narrowed it down somewhat. So what plants do I put outside? Well, right now I've got my Thai constellation, one of my Thai constellations sitting outside. It's in a big heavy pot. It's a big plant. It's loving a little bit of light rain on the leaves and it's doing very nicely. Any of those big architectural plants will be absolutely fine. Cactine succulents will be absolutely fine if they're bigger specimens. So, for example, my Euphorbia trigona rubra, the lovely red form of that succulent euphorbia, um, oftentimes called a cactus, but it isn't. That's doing really well outside. When you take them outside, just make sure that you're not leaving them um, in a cash pot or on a saucer, because what tends to happen then if like often happens in the UK. You get rain, you end up with water collecting in the bottom of the pot. And unless you're very, very speedy and alert to that, you'll find that your plant will be sitting in water, which it will not like. So you've got your plant outside and you've gradually adapted it to the conditions. What else can go wrong? Well, you need to be on the alert for pests. Now the it's not a pest in the slightest, but you will find that earthworms will make their way into your house plant compost. Are you bothered by this? Well, I love earthworms. I'm a huge fan. I think they're fantastic creatures. But this morning I was doing the washing up and looking at my house plants, my oxalis, which sits on the window ledge just in front of the sink. And as I watched, an earthworm poked its head. Uh, was it its head? I. Do earthworms have heads? Well, poked one end over the top of the pot and started to bungee down (laughs) which is a little bit alarming so it it was very swiftly removed outside but if you are at all squeamish about earthworms you will probably find them in your pots they're not going to do any harm they're going to just um, subsist in the pot you might find that they end up pushing quite a lot of soil out the bottom of the pot which can get messy and that may be something that you wish to avoid in terms of putting uh, plants outside. Earthworms will find their way into pots. It's it's magical that <laughs> they just do it. That's one reason I guess to put a saucer underneath them, but I suspect that even with a saucer, worms will find their way in. So do bear that in mind. They're really the least of your worries though. You can have problems with slugs and snails that can wander up to your house plants and start munching. Flying insects can also set up home, aphids being a great example. Although, to be honest, you know, aphids can fly inside your home and get on your plants anyway. I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of aphids this spring. So whether it's a particularly bad year for aphids, I don't know. I do bring in a lot of cut flowers from my garden. So that's an obvious source for those. So do keep a close eye on your houseplants when they're outside, just as you would when they're inside. It's easy to forget things and long term listeners might remember my story of my stag's horn fern, which I managed to kill by forgetting about it and leaving it out in the frost. Tears were shed. That said, putting plants outside can actually help with pest infestations because the leaves will generally be getting rained on, which can help clear off pests. Also, humidity is often higher outside which can help with pests like spider mite in particular which tend to thrive in hot dry environments that we find in greenhouses and in homes and I found that scale infestations seemed to be easier to clear when the plants were outside I presume that's for the same reason as the red spider mites And it's just much easier when plants are outside to give them a really good soaking with the hose, which will spray off a lot of pests and allow you to wipe the leaves. It's much, much easier to do that. Or you just wait till it rains and then you can just wipe things down afterwards. One other pest that you might find taking up residence, which you don't normally find inside, is the vine weevil. And this is actually a really horrible pest for plants. They have particular plants they like outside. Things like heucheras are often very good meals for the larvae of the vine weevil, which is a little insect, beetle-like insect about the about a centimeter long. It's kind of brown and it's got a kind of a weevil-like face. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can see what it looks like. But it's the larvae, they're C-shaped and cream and about again about a centimeter long that cause the damage on plants and they just eat plants roots. So it's quite possible that an adult vine weevil will lay its eggs and you'll end up with a vine weevil infestation if you leave plants outside for a a long time. How can you deal with vine weevils? Well an old school solution is just depotting the plant and shaking out the compost and just finding those c-shaped grubs and removing them Leave them out for the birds or squish them as you choose. Just make sure you get them all. If you want to use a biological control, there is a microscopic nematode worm you can use to treat vine weevil that's very affected, provided you follow the instructions on the label, as I always say with biological controls. So really, when your houseplants are outside, you cannot let your guard down in regard to creatures that might want to come and eat them there's just as much risk risk as there is inside, although the risks may be a bit different. One benefit of putting your plants outside is that it gives you a chance to regroup inside, have a bit of a deep clean, but possibly I've just moved a load of house plants and realized ah. Oh, There's just a thick layer of dust where they were sitting. So you can have a clean round, assess your collection and maybe even think about whether you want to thin out a few plants if you feel like your collection is just too big. As I always say, you can have too many houseplants, contrary to what people often say on uh, houseplant memes. And it's a good chance to assess which ones you maybe can live without and which ones you absolutely love and want to continue to enjoy. So be honest with yourself and see how it feels when you've thinned out the collection indoors. And if it makes you feel better, then certainly do offload a few houseplants to some new homes. What about watering? Well, it depends very much on the weather forecast. Again, if your plant is maybe undergoing some rainy days, as houseplants outside will do here in the UK, it is worth considering that when you test them. Just as you would when they're inside, make sure you're having a good feel to see if they really do need watering before you are watering them. Pick up the pot. Is it light or heavy? stick your finger in, use a wooden lolly stick and stick that in and assess the water situation. With any luck, if your plants in the right potting mix, then uh, heavy showers of rain shouldn't provide any problem and indeed can help with flushing out any extra mineral salts that have accumulated in your soil, which is another reason to put them outside if you are mainly watering with tap water. If you're thinking about Where to put them? Mine go under the eaves of my house, unless they're cacti and succulents like my agaves and that euphorbia I was telling you about, which go on the sunny patio. The eaves of the house are good because they are somewhat protected and sheltered from heavy rain. They're kind of out of the way. They're not going to get knocked by anything going past. If you put your plants up against a brick wall or a concrete wall, that material will basically hold on to heat that's generated during the day. So as the sunlight comes on those stones, they heat up and then release that heat during the night time. So that's great in that it'll keep the temperature a little bit locally higher for those plants and they'll benefit from that, too. And finally, when should you bring your house plants indoors? Well, uh, Better to go sooner rather than later in terms of your plants. You do not want your plants to start getting chilled by temperatures as they decline at the end of summer. And what I I've said about nighttime temperatures, that obviously still applies What you want to avoid is having bought a load of houseplants during the summer and put them indoors and then realise that you've then got to bring in all the plants that you left outside and you've got nowhere to put them. And don't say you haven't been there, because if you're like me, you probably have. Again, another good moment to assess and cull plants that you are no longer feeling the joy with. When you do bring them in, give them a really thorough check over before you let them back in the house for any pests. Above ground, on the leaves, backs of the leaves, growing points where aphids love to go and also those nooks and crannies for things like spider mite and scale. If you don't know what you're looking for, check out some photos online and get yourselves a hand lens. I'm sounding like a broken record now, but a magnifying glass or a hand lens, jeweler's loop, all of which will allow you to see. If you're anything like me and your eyesight's going a bit, it's essential. You can really see what's going on. Give the plant a really thorough check over. Take it out of the pot if you have the time and make sure that all is well before you're bringing it inside. And if it's been in greater light, then do expect there to be a bit of a reaction to coming back indoors where light levels are going to be a bit lower. You may get some leaf drop. That's just the plant saying, I don't need as much photosynthetic power as I had before. So I'm going to drop some leaves. This will probably happen. It's not the end of the world. It's your plant adapting to the changing seasons. That's my guide to houseplant staycations. But can I hear you crying Jane, I don't have any outdoor space. How am I supposed to give my houseplants a staycation? Well, great sympathies. That is obviously an issue for some of you listening. You can do very, very simple things to give your houseplants plants. That's staycation feeling. I mean, if you have windows that open and I know from speaking to some people on the houseplant consultations on Zoom that not all of you who live in apartments have this option. But if you do have windows that open, get those windows open, get some fresh air flowing through your house. It'll benefit you and it will benefit your plants, obviously not in a freezing cold draft, but somewhere where they can get a bit of a breeze will not do them any harm. You can also take your houseplants to the bathroom for a little bit of a spa day. They can go in the bottom of the shower tray or the bath. And that's your opportunity to give them a good spray down, run water through the soil and all the mess will be contained into your bath area. Just make sure you clean it up before your housemates try to have their bath. Otherwise, you may get some complaints If you have very hard water in your area, you may find that when you rinse off the leaves with that tap water that you get mineral deposits left behind. So if that is you, then you might want to think about treating your plants to some distilled water or asking around to see if anyone, you know, with a garden could supply you with a bit of rainwater to do that rinse off because that will solve the problem of those hard silvery deposits that are caused by the hard tap water. And do just remember when you take them out of the bath or shower, let them have a good drain off before you put them back in their normal places, because there will be a, a water that gets stuck in the soil, so they will need time to drain off. Stick them on an old towel or in an old washing up bowl, my, fa- my favourite piece of houseplant equipment, just to drain off before you put them back where they belong. Now it's time for meet the listener and I'm joined by Sophie from Wales.
2: Hi Jane, my name is Sophie, I'm 36 years old and I live in South Wales. When did you get into houseplants and why? About 20 years ago when I first left home I knew I wanted to decorate with plants. I bought ferns and succulents from the florist, and slowly killed all of them. I feel like indoor gardening was sneered at by the more old school gardeners. There wasn't much advice into growing houseplants, at least not in the valleys, which made me more determined to have an indoor jungle. So I checked at a library booked and learned that they don't like to be watered every day and um, stop murdering firms. And that's how my obsession began.
1: What's the latest addition to your houseplant collection?
2: Semecio Meccanioides. I got it from Blasted Succulent Emporium, one of Cardiff's incredible, dedicated houseplant shops
1: complete the sentence I love my houseplants because
2: they make a space feel like home it's really grounding to share your living space with plants and seeing them thrive is so rewarding I especially love sharing cuttings with friends especially when they send you messages about how much they've grown it's really nice to share that and get other people excited about growing plants in their homes too.
1: Who is your houseplant hero? My
2: houseplant hero is Samarine Oaks I love watching her videos, I find them really inspirational and informative, especially her her garden tours. And because she's an environmental scientist, I know that that's information I can trust. I also really appreciate her activism tackling fair
1: trade and sustainability in the fashion industry. Name your Plantagonist, the plant you simply cannot get along with. Oh my god,
2: String of Pearls, I do not know what this plant wants from me. So I've just come to accept that I can only admire it from afar because if I so much as look at it the wrong way, it'll shrivel up and die.
1: Thank you to Sophie, and I do hope you like the new questions. And if you'd like to answer these questions on the show, get in touch on theledgepodcast@gmail.com. Don't feel shy, don't hold back. We want to hear from you. We'd love to have you on the show. So do step forward. And I particularly want to hear from people whose locations have not featured in the show before. Right, question of the week is upon us and it comes from Janet. Janet writes, I'm buying my first moss pole and think that sphagnum moss is better than coir. But some have spikes and some don't. I can see that burying some of the moss in the compost would keep the moss moist, but I don't know. To spike or not to spike? That is a question. What do you think? Great Question, Janet. Moss poles are a cause of considerable trauma for me. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm over exaggerating here. I find the subject of moss poles a rather tricksy one. Lots of moss poles. In fact, I'm looking at one right now, which is probably the most disappointing moss pole in history. It's a piece of black, I guess, UPVC piping about, uh, I don't know, about two or three centimeters across, that is meant to be wreathed in coir, but the coir stops about a good few centimetres from the top and it just looks extremely ugly. The plant doesn't cling to it particularly well because it's not moist and it just looks really, really ugly. Moss poles that are made from moss, as in some kind of wire cage with moss packed inside tend to work much better for obvious reasons. The aerial roots of plants that might need a moss pole can actually penetrate into that moist moss layer and establish themselves and anchor themselves as they would do in nature. Um, If they were climbing through a tree canopy or around shrubs, they'll be looking for something to cling to and a moist bit of moss would be absolutely ideal. How do you keep that moss moist? Well, back in the day, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, there's a thing called a dew pot, D-E-W pot. And this was just a little small pot, usually terracotta, that went in the top of the moss pole and was filled with water, kept filled with water, and that would allow water to trickle down into the moss. Genius. But you just never see these anywhere. I mean, if you Google dew pot, moss pole, let me just try that now. Let's see if it's changed. But till very recently, if you Google dew pot and moss pole, which I'm doing now, or rather Ecosia, because I try to use Ecosia where possible. Uh, let's have a look if we get any results whatsoever. Well, only on <laughs> the only time I can find a reference to dew pot is on on the ledge podcast. How funny is that? So, yes, it's not. Something that you'll see online, but you know, things exist that aren't on the internet, as hopefully you well know. I'm just looking at another listing for a moss pole and wondering, this is a listing on eBay for a moss pole. I mean, yeah, but it doesn't have a dew pot in the top. You're just supposed to pour the water in the top. But the idea of the the dew pot is just just controlling the moisture. So you can buy uh, moss poles that are filled with moss. You can make your own. There are loads of DIY videos out there. You just need some plastic or metal mesh, which you can attach together into a cylinder. Some people use cable ties and things like that, and then stuff with moss. The reasons not to do moss poles. Well, sphagnum moss is a resource that is being used at a rapacious rate by the horticulture industry, and it's a precious resource. If you can grow your own, then that's absolutely cool. I, I ha, I'm not saying I haven't bought moss. I have certainly bought it, uh, but I try to limit my use of it as much as possible. I'm going to suggest, this is a total guess, but it might just work, that you could stuff your moss pole with something alternative. I don't know if you've ever seen those cool insulation packs that contain wool. I have wondered whether you could stuff a moss pole with that and use that. Would it get smelly and stinky if it was wet all the time? I don't know, but it's certainly worth experimenting with as an alternative for the resource of sphagnum. And if you are buying sphagnum, you know, do make lots of due diligence checks and try to confirm that the person that's supplying it is collecting it in as sustainable manner as possible. So uh, in answer to your question, Janet, I think the coir poles are pretty useless. They don't really have any way of maintaining moisture. I don't think roots like going into to coir um, that kind of coir anyway, that very harsh, um, but coarse coir, they're not that much use. But you also asked about spikes. So I should address that issue. So, yes, some moss poles do come with spikes, generally the ones that are actually the coir. I've, I've also seen coir wrapped around what looks like a broomstick with a sharpened end. So is the spike useful or not? I have found whenever I've been dealing with moss poles to get them to stand up and stay up and not be really wobbly in anything other than a very large pot is actually quite difficult. And I know that other growers have had the same problem. What can you do about it? Well, there's loads of different suggestions of ways of stabilizing your moss pole. If you are using the technique of a mesh moss pole with moss inside it, what you can do is put the moss pole right at the bottom of your empty pot and then cable tie it to the bottom of the empty pot or use wire. If you prefer metal wire or plastic wrap wire would be ideal. That way you're securing it and it should mean that it won't fall over. So you're going through the bottom holes of the pot and then up into the moss bottom of the moss pole and securing that very firmly. That's one way of doing it. I've also heard of people hot glue gunning um, moss poles without a spike to the bottom of the pot. That could also work. There's another thing I've seen where people have put a sort of a dowel across the bottom of the moss pole and through the sides of the plastic pot as another way of stabilising it. There are lots of options. If you've got a spike... None of those options are really available to you because you've got this pointy end at the bottom. So generally, I'd say avoid the spike unless you've got a really, really huge pot, in which case just pushing it into the soil of the huge pot should be enough to keep it stable. But bear in mind, once you've got a plant growing up that moss pole, that's going to put extra weight and pressure on it. So you really want to do everything you can to make sure it is secure. So I would go no spike and moss with a caveat would be the answer to your question. And, you know, maybe if you can make your own moss pole, the beauty is then that you can adapt it as you like and try different techniques, put put your own little dew pot in the top and so on. There's a lot of advantages to a moss pole in terms of adding some humidity, trying to mimic the natural environment of lots of those plants, such as aroids that you might be growing that way where, you know, a moist, tree trunk is exactly what they're looking for to climb up. So there's a lot to be said for it, but it does require some thought. I do hope that helps Janet. And if anyone else has a question for on the ledge, please drop me a line. And if you've got a cool moss pole setup that you want to show me, do send me the pictures. I want to see your moss pole solutions. That is all for this week's show do hope that your week hasn't been as strange and discombobulating as mine. What I do know is heading out into my greenhouse to do some repotting later today will help me set myself to rights and bring me great joy. And that's what it is all about. The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, Chiefs by Jazar, and Whistle by Benjamin Banger. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details.